Welcome to Coffee Talk with Linda. I'm Linda Davis. Thank you for joining me today. A little bit about myself before we get started. I love Jesus. I love coffee. And I love sharing both. So go grab your cup and let's talk. Obedience is a matter of the heart. God always looks upon our heart in every action we do. So even in our obedience, maybe even most importantly in our obedience, it comes down to the issue of the heart. Are we obeying because we love God, we want to please God, we know He has our best interest in heart, we trust Him, We understand he's not going to ask anything of us that really, truthfully, isn't simply the best for us. We can always look at it as a healthy parenting situation, right? A healthy parent, a mother or father, is only going to put rules in the household, limits on their children, that are going to better their children. They look at their kids and they say, that behavior is inappropriate. Why? Because I know you have better down in there and I'm trying to bring it out of you. So I'm gonna put a requirement on you to obey me in that area so you become everything I know you can be. As a parent, that's what we do with our children. That's why there's obedience. That's why there's discipline. It's the same with God. That is why he puts a demand on us to obey the written word of God and what I would call personal commands, things he has spoken to me, things he has spoken to you that maybe he hasn't spoken to me, but we have to obey them. Even with our kids, there's certain requirements and demands we put on one and maybe not the other, especially as they get older and older. And there's even certain responses and needs of discipline. It's the same with God. We can so much look at our relationship with God as we do turn and look at our relationship with our children. And if we have a healthy family unit, and I always like to emphasize that because that is an important point, we're always We're responding to our kids as God responds to us. And even the Bible says, if we can love our own children, how much more God than us? So if we want the best for our own children, how much more God with us? If we put limits and rules and regulations on our children for their best interest, how much more God with us? And the truth is, we can be like little kids sometimes. We don't want to obey. We don't feel like obeying. We just want to do what our flesh wants to do, and we somehow justify it like little kids. Or we say we didn't know, like little kids. Like, yeah, you knew, but you say you didn't know or you didn't realize, or you blame it on somebody else, like little kids. So we really can be like children in our um, responsibility to walk in the commands of the Lord. Be holy as I'm holy. That's a command he puts on us. I'm not gonna go list all the things he says we shouldn't and shouldn't do. That's for all of us. We all come under a certain umbrella of obedience. And then we come under our own 
smaller umbrellas because we all have different stuff. We all have different maybe temptations. We all have different uh, issues. We all have um, maybe a different place God's trying to bring us out of and a different place God's trying to bring us into. So obedience is a difficult thing. And like I was just saying, you know, we can get like a little kid sometime and just not want to obey. Or maybe we obey, but we're rebellious in our heart about it, even though we're going through the motions of the obedience. Just like, like, you know, if you have children, when you've told one kid to apologize to the other kid, do they really mean it? No, they do not. They're like, sorry, right? And they have an attitude, but they're obeying you. But they're obeying with attitude. There was a cartoon many years ago, and it was a little kid sitting down, might have even been in a classroom, and above the kid's head was one of those cartoon balloon-type things, and it showed the kid's thoughts, and it said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. And how many times have we done that with God? How many times have we gone through the motions of obedience, but in our hearts, we're rebellious and we have attitude. We might as well not even obey, really, truthfully. There's a scripture in 1 Samuel, I believe it's chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, that tells us obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And I would take that another level up and say obedience is actually more difficult than sacrifice because it, we can go, well, we don't do this, but, you know, in the Old Testament, that was written in 1 Samuel 15. So in the Old Testament, you know, they would go and they would sacrifice an animal. And so it would be an action and then they would be done. You know, I grew up in the, in the Catholic church. And you would go have a confession and give, go into the confession booth and confess to the priest your sin, and he'd tell you your payment, basically, for your sin, even though, truthfully, Jesus already paid for our sins. But he would tell you, uh, go say, you know, and this is just an example, go say 10 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers. And me, and I know from my other friends who said the same thing when we were young, well, that was worth it. So, you know, it really, like we were going and making a penance, but our heart was never changed in the matter. And so when we're obedient, that is sacrificial plus more because it has to come from a place in our heart. So huge that we walk in obedience, which is always sacrificial. I can't think of one time that I've obeyed the Lord that it wasn't sacrificial but also that it wasn't better for me and it didn't do a work in my heart. No doubt in my mind. How about the command to forgive? A lot of us don't want to do that. We don't want to forgive. We shouldn't have to forgive. They don't deserve our forgiveness. And who are we in one sense to say, and and I remember, you know, I was in my mid-20s when I first started really walking with the Lord and having a real personal relationship with him. And I remember coming across that scripture that says, Jesus speaking, you must forgive to be forgiven. 
right? And pretty much, pretty much there's always a portion. We always have a portion. And I'm going to get into that a little more in a moment. There's always our part, always. But there is that scripture. And see, we want forgiveness from the Lord, but we don't really always want to give that forgiveness to others. So that scripture, when I came across that way back when, there were people in my life that I didn't want to forgive. I didn't think they deserved forgiveness, truthfully. And they certainly weren't asking for it. Now, that's a whole different subject matter. Maybe my next podcast will be on forgiveness because we can talk about that all day, every day, for sure. And there is a command to be forgiven. We must forgive. So maybe tune into the next podcast on forgiveness. But in my heart, I couldn't do it. But I would go through the motions of it. Well, if you say to forgive them, I guess I'll forgive them, right? (laughs) But I really hadn't forgiven. I was going through the motions. I was like the kid sitting in the chair, but on the inside, I was standing up. But I thought I was okay. And God, in His grace and in His mercy, showed me, no, you cannot just go through the motions here, Linda. You have to genuinely release this from your heart and forgive. And that was a sacrifice plus some. It required action on my behalf, not just words. I had to walk out the forgiveness in obedience. And it wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do. But I'll say this, and this is why the Lord requires it of us. It was very freeing on the other side of it. When I genuinely cried out to God to help me because I couldn't forgive, but I wanted to be obedient to him. I wanted to do what he was asking me to do, what the word of God was calling me to do. And God worked with me. And I finally came to a place of being able to forgive those I didn't think deserved my forgiveness and certainly weren't pursuing it. And you know what it did? It freed me. It was better for me. It improved all my relationships, especially with my husband, especially in the house. It wasn't him I had to forgive. But when we, re- when we have unforgiveness towards some people, we tend to, we don't even realize we're doing it, take it out on the other person, take it on, on those closest to us. But again, I'm going to save that for another podcast. So getting back to the obedience portion of it, God has that specific command in the Bible, forgive to be forgiven. He has that command. It's, it's a demand put on us because he knows it's better for us to forgive. And he wants the best for us all the time. Obedience is vital. Obedience is a requirement from God. An interesting thing that I thought of when I was thinking on obedience, and I think a lot of us are so guilty of this in so many areas, halfway obedience is just as costly as disobedience. And when I thought about that, I thought about the story of Lot. And this is something that's not talked about much in regard to Lot. Really, what you hear a lot, no pun intended, (laughs) what you hear a lot about when people teach and minister and preach about Lot is his wife and how she turned and looked back 
And she became that pillar of salt. And that is truth. And that did happen. But I want to talk about Lot. Because really, it's a pretty sad story about a man who did not listen to God. He just wouldn't listen to him. He wouldn't have follow through. The fact of the matter is, and we may go here a little bit more in a few minutes, but in Deuteronomy chapter 11, um, verse 27, this is just the, the basics of obedience. A blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you, verse 28, and a curse if you will not obey the commands of the Lord your God. Now we can look and see that Abraham was clearly blessed. I mean, anything that man set his hands to do prospered. Why? Wasn't random. It was because God was blessing him for his unabandoned obedience. Was he perfect? No. But he had an unabandoned obedience to God, for sure. Lot, his nephew, did not. There's a point in the story of Abraham and Lot where they go separate ways. And look at the difference. It's just so crazy to me, the difference between the two when they parted ways. And like Abraham actually said to Lot, you choose which portion of land you want. Now, when Abraham and Lot, he was actually Abram at that time, when they separate, it wasn't anything that Lot had done wrong. It was just that they were so, both so prosperous that they had to separate. The land could not support, support everyone. And it's all the way in Genesis 13. And uh, it's at verse six. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And what ends up happening here is Abram's herdmen and Lot's herdmen start striving with one another. So it wasn't Abram and Lot personally, but it was just a clash between their people, I guess. And so Abram's, Abram says to Lot, you know, I don't, he didn't want, and this is, this is huge. He doesn't want any strife. There should be no strife. Like you can't, if you can't be in unity, that doesn't, and that doesn't mean you have to agree about every single thing, but the main purpose you have to agree for sure. If you can't be in unity, then, then something needs to change because Abram knew we can't be in strife. Strife is disunity. It's division. It's separation. And so Abram says to Lot down in verse eight of Genesis 13, let there be no strife between me and you and between my herdmen and your herdmen for we're brethren. We're, we're, we're from the same people. Is not the whole land before us? Right? And he basically tells him, you know, you take, if you want the left, then I'll go right. If you want the right, then I'll go left, which was very gracious of Abram at the time, really. And so Lot kind of acts a little selfish here. He looks and he lifts up his eyes and he sees the whole plain of Jordan. He sees that it's well watered everywhere. And this is, of course, before God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, right? In the land of Egypt. And so then Lot chooses all the plain of Jordan. He basically, really truthfully, he was selfish. He chose the best of the best. He took the best land. He, he, he took what would help him to prosper. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. 
and he pitched his tent toward Sodom. So he's turning his head, basically, toward the wickedness and the sin that was in Sodom. That's what takes place there. He pitches his tent toward Sodom because all he can see is what looks good, what looks good. And that's not the point. So I want to kind of jump jump ahead here and like, you know, Lot's in Sodom and Gomorrah now, right? And there's just, sin is abounding. You know, we think we see a lot today. It doesn't even compare. Maybe it's getting close, but it does not compare yet to what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so uh, let's jump ahead to that. Of course, we know the story. Abram, he pleads, and I believe he's Abraham at this point. We're over in Genesis 19. Let's see, maybe, yeah, sorry, Genesis 18. He's Abraham, called Abraham now, and he intercedes for Sodom. And the Lord lets him know what's going to take place there. And of course, his, his nephew's there, you know, and he's like, would you j- just for one, j- you know, j- you just keep, does this whole countdown thing. And for lack of time, I'm not going to get into all of that. And so basically, the Lord sends an angel to visit Lot. He's going to spare Lot and his family, right? And the men who are really the angels of the Lord, they say to Lot, um, you need to get out of here. First thing in the morning, you need to get up and go. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And Lot did do that, right? Lot did obey in that area for sure. And it says down in uh, verse 15, and I, this is so important, don't miss this. In the morning, and when the morning arose, the angels hastened to Lot, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters which are here lest they be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Now, don't miss this. And while he lingered, see, that's the problem. We linger around sin and it's dangerous. We linger around disobedience and it's dangerous. It can cause harm. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters But the Lord was merciful. The Lord being merciful to him, him being Lot, they brought him out of the city. They set him outside of the city. And once Lot was outside of the city, right? So now he says to him over in verse 17, neither stay in the plain, escape for your life. Look not behind you. Neither stay in the plain, escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. And what's Lot say after his life just got saved? Oh no, not so, my Lord. In verse 19 of um, Genesis chapter 19, so nineteen nineteen, Behold now, thy servant has found grace in your sight and has magnified thy mercy, which you have shown me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. He was afraid to go do and go be where God was telling him to go be. It was disobedience. He was arguing with God here. And we'll do that sometimes. And we just have to relent that God knows best because God knows best. So really, God's a little frustrated here. And he tells him in verse 20, behold, now this city is near to flee to, and it is a little one. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is Lot asking. Let me escape there and my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have accepted the concerning this thing, that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Haste there, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you are there. So therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. And now Sodom and Gomorrah, they get destroyed. The Lord raises it up, okay? And so here we go. 
Here's their escaping. He overthrew the cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants. And we're down in verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abram got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land and he sees all the smoke, of course. And it came to pass and God destroyed the cities of the plain. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out in the midst basically protected, he basically protected Lot on Abram's behalf, Abraham's behalf, not Lot's behalf. And Lot can't even see that. And he can't fully obey in the process of the protection. He's like, no, I don't want to go up to the mountain. No, I'm afraid to go up there. Don't forget that God originally told Lot, don't stop anywhere in the plains, basically. Run all the way to the mountains. Interestingly, Lot ends up fearing for his life in the very city he wanted to go to, the city, the small city of Zor, right? The place that he basically begged to go there instead. Now he ends up fearing for his life there in Zor, and he runs from Zor. <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy. And he ends up taking his two daughters, remember his wife's become a pillar of salt, and they run to the hills. They actually end up settling in a cave. Really, the thing that you don't want to miss here is remember they told, the angels of the Lord told Lot and his family, escape for your life, right? Don't look behind you. Don't stay in the plain. Go escape to the mountain, right? Why? Lest you be consumed. But really, Lot didn't want to leave, truthfully. His heart didn't want to obey. He wasn't ready yet to leave. That's really why he asked permission to go to the small town of Zor. But he doesn't have the same reputation in Zor. In Sodom, he actually sat at the gate. He was some kind of government-type official in this major city of sin. So he ends up escaping for his life with his two daughters and just ends up with this dismal existence and fades away. And yet he walked beside Abraham and he saw Abraham continually obey God and continually be blessed time and time again. But Abraham's blessing was because of Abraham's obedience. And Lot would come to a place in life where he would have to have that same kind of, as I called it, unabandoned obedience, faith and trust in God. That's what unabandoned obedience really is. It's a faith and a trust in God. I want to swing back around to Deuteronomy chapter 11 for a minute. I read in verse 27 and 28, right? There's blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. If you need no other motivation to walk in obedience with the Lord, Deuteronomy, if you go up a few more verses, in Deuteronomy 11 verse 25, I mean, actually, I, I want to back it up some. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase this all for sake of time, but it's starting in verse 18. It's kind of a command being given to us to love the Lord. Lay up all these words in your heart and your soul and bind them upon your hand, right? Teach them to your children. Speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. Write them upon the doorposts of your house, right? That your days, here's the blessing for doing this. There's always blessing for obedience, your days will be multiplied. The days of your children will be multiplied. If you diligently, I'm in kind of reading from verse 22, if you diligently keep all the commands which the Lord commands you, 
and you love the Lord your God, and you walk in all his ways, and you cleave to him. Basically, you trust him. You have faith in him. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. You know, to paraphrase, he's got you. God's got you just because you walk from a place of obedience in your heart. And you will possess greater nations, mightier than yourself. Verse 24, every place the sole of your foot treads will be yours. Pretty much what happened to Abraham. You know, and he goes to list, you know, from the wilderness in Lebanon and the river and the river Euphrates and the uttermost sea. And this is key. Verse 25, there shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land. Why? And right after, that's where he says, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And he says in verse 26, by the way, behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. In other words, God every day is giving us the choice Do we want blessings in our life or curses in our life? Will we obey from the heart or will we disobey? Like there's no fine line here. There's no gray area. We're either in obedience or we're in disobedience. Not obeying is disobeying. If I tell one of my kids, clean your room, and they haven't cleaned their room, They didn't make more of a mess. They just didn't act on what I asked them to do. They have disobeyed. They didn't do what I told them to do. It's disobedience. This day I set before you. I remember studying this years and years ago when the kids were little. And every morning I would get up before school, put their breakfast out for them. I'd make them all three, I had three sons, all three of them the same breakfast. I had one fast eater, one very slow eater. Sometimes he just wouldn't even eat his breakfast. Every day I put that before them. Now it's his choice. I can't, I'm not, I can't stuff the food down his throat. So you're either going to go to school with a full stomach or an empty stomach. It's your choice. And every day I'm going to set this food down like you ate the whole thing yesterday. And that's what this scripture says. Every single day, God gives us a choice of what we want to walk in in our lives. He's saying, are you going to obey me today? Because that will birth blessings. Or are you going to disobey by not obeying? Or are you going to disobey by begrudging it in your heart? Or are you going to disobey by blatantly disobeying? That will birth curses. The choice is always ours. 